I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online today, especially those of you who are local and would have liked to have been here today, but for whatever reason are not to. We're grateful and hope that you feel just as part of this service as, as everybody else. Uh, a special welcome to any of you who are visiting here today, maybe visiting family or friends for Thanksgiving. A welcome to our college students, many of whom are home this weekend, and it's great to, great to have you all back. Next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series called Better Together, and we're going to be looking at the, the sayings throughout the New Testament, the one another sayings throughout the New Testament, and we're looking forward to uh, some good conversations that are going to come as a part of that. There's a story of a politician, a young guy who was elected in Boston, and he got elected to kind of represent a very troubled and challenged neighborhood in that community. It was a community very low income. There was a lot of drugs, crime, and gang activity in that community, and he really wanted to go in there and make a difference. And so as he was asking around, he was asking people, who do I need to talk to who's going to help me better understand some of the challenges that are in this community? And everybody kept telling him the same person. Uh, there was a Catholic priest that had, had been serving in that, uh, the parish in that church for over 25 years, knew the community really well, knew the families of the community really well, and was a, a one person that was often visiting these guys, these young people in particular, who were unemployed and had fallen into gang activity. And so the politician calls the priest and says, um, look, I want to come. Can you take me and introduce me to the neighborhood? The priest gladly agrees. The politician shows up in his car and the priest says, no, 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 we're walking. We are not driving through this neighborhood. And off they go. And for the rest of the afternoon, the priest took him around and introduced him to different people in the community and helped him really get a bird's eye view of all that was going on and some of the challenges. At the end of the conversation, they were standing on a street corner looking across to another street corner where there was a group of young men, all unemployed, and they'd been there, the politician noticed, all afternoon. So he asked the priest, what are these guys up to? Are these gang activity? Are, these, are they into trouble? What's going on here? And the priest looked at him, and his answer actually surprised the politician, and he remembered it. The priest said to the politician, they're quitting. They're quitting. That's what they're doing over there. That these young men grew up with dreams and aspirations for life, as everybody does, but they got the message really quickly because of the neighborhood and because of the poverty that they faced and the community that they were a part of, there's no future for them that their dreams would never get realized, and that there was no chances for them really to do any of the things that they wanted to do. So the priest said, what they're doing over there, hanging out, is quitting. Taking the path of least resistance, there's no future for them, so just do kind of what everybody else is doing in the neighborhood. The passage that we're going to look at today from John's Gospel is the same kind of spirit. It's a story about somebody who could not see any other options for themselves, and so they quit. We've been going through the two chapters in the Gospel of John, the last two chapters, looking at these stories that after the resurrection of Jesus and before the beginning of the church, uh, Jesus comes and all of his disciples have gone missing. And he goes to get them, and he goes finding them. Today we're going to look at the story of Jesus going to find the Apostle Peter. Turn with me to John chapter 21. We're going to start reading from verse 1 to 14. You can look it up in the Pew Bible in front of you, page 1687, or you can look it up electronically as well as we go through this passage. John chapter 21. Let me read it for you. 
afterward, and this is after Jesus goes and finds doubting Thomas and kind of restores his faith, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved and who also wrote this gospel said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garden around him before he'd taken it off to fish and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning. Coals were there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after being raised from the dead. The disciples were night fishing. They fished in the evening because the, the water was cooler and the fish would come to the surface. They'd go out in their boat not far from shore. They would throw their net into the water and pull it back in again and again, hoping to catch some fish in their nets. They'd been doing this all night. These were seasoned fishermen. They did this as their career. They probably, a number of them grew up in homes where their parents were fishermen as well. And as they were doing this, someone from shore calls out to them and says, have you caught any fish? How many of you appreciate someone pointing out that you're not doing a task very, very well? They say no. He gives advice humbly. They humor him. They throw their nets to the other side and they pull them in filled. And immediately in this moment, they know exactly who it is that's speaking to them from the shore because they're having a deja vu moment. This has happened to them before. Jesus had appeared three years ago. He was preaching on the shoreline. Uh, the crowds were large, so Jesus had said to Simon Peter, take me out in your boat. I want to use the water as an amplification system to continue my sermon. Peter does, takes him out in the water. Jesus finishes his message, and when he's finished his message, Jesus turns to Peter and says, why don't we fish? To which Simon Peter says, we fished all night. We caught nothing. Jesus says, well, Let's throw the nets on the other side of the boat this time, carpenter. So Peter humors him, throws the nets over, and the nets are filled. When Jesus stands on the shore and tells them to put the nets on the other side, when it happens again, they know exactly who it is that is on the shore. 
Now, when they put, come ashore, when the disciples come ashore, there's a campfire there. You can smell the campfire. You can hear the sizzling of fish over the coals. You can smell the fresh bread that's being baked. And Jesus is making them breakfast. He invites them to come and sit down for a meal. Now, I don't know if you have favorite sayings of Jesus that you've kind of claimed as your life verse, you know, I am the resurrection of the life, or come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I think this could be a new one for some of you. Verse 12, come and have breakfast. That's a good verse. I love a good breakfast. Jesus invites these disciples to come and have breakfast. It's the original men's breakfast. And in this moment, Jesus is doing something substantial. Most of Jesus' ministry, if you look at it throughout the Gospels, took place around meals or around a table. The Cana, the wedding table in, in Cana, Jesus feeding the 5,000 fish and loaves, maybe it's the same recipe he's using in this passage as well. The story of Jesus and Zacchaeus going to a banquet at his house, a large table, a large gathering gathered with people, and of course, the Last Supper. And in ancient times, a meal was more than a meal. It was the ultimate act of welcome to people. It was a way of accepting people. It was a way of saying, you are my people. And so when Jesus invites the disciples to breakfast on the beach, it's more than just bread and fish. Because the timing of this event is so significant. Let me just take you on a little field trip on Peter for a second to remind you who it is that we're dealing with in this story. Jesus came to Peter initially and invited him to follow him, to leave his fishing nets, to leave his career, and to go. To close up business, close up shop, put things away, and literally go wherever Jesus goes to do what Jesus was doing. And Peter agreed. Jesus had that line, I don't want you to fish for fish anymore, I want you to fish for, for men. And he goes, and this is what he does. And Peter kind of becomes the de facto leader of these 12 disciples. He's the one that is so often invited to these extra special moments with Jesus. And then there's that moment halfway through Jesus' ministry, and we find it in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus is asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? The disciples banter it around a little bit, but then Jesus says, or then Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's the first time that Jesus' true identity is spoken publicly. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Peter. And he kind of pronounces over him this kind of prophetic prediction. He says, on this rock, which is Peter's name, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But Peter, you are going to be instrumental in this movement called the church. You're going to be a leader in it. It's going to go places, and you are going to be a part of it. And fast forward, it happens. At the day of Pentecost, not but a few days after this story that we're reading today, the Spirit comes. Peter preaches the gospel, and hundreds of people come to faith for the very first time. Peter becomes a leader in the church that says, the church just can't be for Jewish people. It has to be for all people. Peter raised such a stink that the actual, at the very heights of power in Rome, they were fearful of him and his influence, that they had him murdered. And how many of you have ever been to a church bearing the name St. Peter's, right? In every corner of the world, there is a church that bears this 
man's name. Which is interesting, because in this passage that we're reading today, he's quit. He's walked away. He's given up. Peter, in the passage that we're reading today, has gone back to fishing. I started telling you the story about this priest and this politician standing on the street corner, looking at this group of young men, asking, why is it that they're just hanging out there? And the priest saying, they've quit. They've got no other options available to them. They've simply quit. And I want to suggest to you today, that's what Peter is doing here, too. That something happened in Peter's life that left him feeling like he had no other options but to simply walk away. Something so bad that he decided his days as a follower of Jesus were over. That given what he had done, the only option for him was to step aside and go back to the thing that he knew how to do best, and that was fish. Well, what was it that Peter did? Well, you'll remember not but a few days ago, the night that Jesus was crucified, Jesus met with his disciples around the Lord's table, and he explained to them that one of them was going to betray him. And all of the disciples were like, not me. But Peter was the most vocal about it not being him. I'm sure he could picture that disciple, probably maybe this one over here, but not me. And he says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. To which Jesus says, Peter, before morning, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And it happened. Jesus goes on from that evening. He gets arrested. Peter's kind of following alongside, hanging out in the crowd. People are coming up saying, hey, aren't you with him? And no, not me. Aren't you the hick from Galilee? I can hear it in your voice. No, I'm not with him. And then a teenage girl completely undoes Peter when she asks him, aren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, I do not know that man. The rooster crows, the words of Jesus come thundering back to Peter. And the scripture says that he wept bitterly. He'd failed miserably. This is the world of regret. And when Peter failed, when he'd seen what he had done, he could see no way forward for himself. So he goes fishing. Where do you go when you have that experience? When you find yourself in a situation where you did the thing you said you weren't going to do again. When you do the thing that hurts somebody and you feel so bad, you just, I can't be there anymore, I have to step away. Where do you go? What do you turn to in those moments? Whether it's a one-time failure, a persistent failure, a mistake, a mess that you create, and you just sit down and you do the math and you think, I can't be here anymore. I can't follow Jesus anymore. I can't hang out with these people anymore. I can't go to church anymore. And so you just pull away, you stop, you quit. Some of you are familiar in the work world with the new phrase, quiet quitting. It's the phrase that describes people who, they show up for work, their heart's not in it anymore, they do nothing more than is required of them, and the minute that clock hits five o'clock, they are out of there because they're done. They're showing up, but they're not in it anymore. And I think there's people who quiet quit on Jesus We show up to church, we sing the songs, we go through the motions. People see us here. But inside, we, like Peter, we've just quit. So what does Jesus do? 
Well, remember, Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. He knew it. He talked to Peter about it. Peter did it. Jesus is not surprised by Peter's behavior. So Jesus goes looking for Peter. It's been the theme of this series. Jesus goes looking for Peter. He knows he's been up all night, and this breakfast is not just something he did for a tired person. This was an act of grace. And in this moment, what Jesus was saying to Peter is this. There is still room for you at my table. Peter, there is still room for you at my table, for people who fall away, for people who've struggled, for people who've blown it and who feel, I've got no other option but to leave. Jesus says, no, there's still room at the table for you. Remember, God knows who he called when he called Peter. He knew he would be someone who would be impetuous, who would be the first to act, the first to, he'd have good days, he would have bad days, and that he would deny. And, G, and Jesus knew that Peter would be the one on whom he would build his church, who would go on to preach, who would lead the, the, the disciples in a wonderful movement in the early days of the church, and wh- whose name would be on almost every community on planet earth with a building named after him. Jesus knew all of that was going to happen. Jesus knows who he called when he called you and I, too. He knew who he was calling when he called us. And he knew there would be days when we would blow it. And there would be seasons that would be difficult. And there would be chapters that would be unbelievably difficult. And he calls us anyway. Meaning that that thing that you did (laughs) or let happen or... you got convinced was a good idea and turned out to be a really bad idea. Jesus knew that when he called you. Meaning that when you sin or are struggling with sin, when you've convinced yourself that Jesus would never want someone like me following him, Jesus knew and he called you anyways. For this failure that seemed like too much for Peter to bear, Jesus says you don't have to bear it. I will bear it for you. And there's room at the table for each of us. Now, Jesus and Peter have some unfinished business. Let me just kind of catch you up on reading verses 15 to 17. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And whether he's talking about the disciples or the fish or whatever, no one really knows. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three denials, three calls. Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, You know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, what I love about this is that Jesus is recalling Peter to take up the thing that he'd called him to originally. He'd called him to. 
I've had hope, you know, two real hopes in this series as we've been going through these stories, that as we read them and go through them, if you are fearful, if you're grieving, if you're doubting, or if you've quit, that you would find some good news here for you as well. But my other hope is that as we go through these stories, we would be stirred up and awakened to what it means to be the church today in our city with our friends, family, and our neighbors. And that as we read these stories, it would remind us that we, have the, we bear the message of there's still room at the table for you. How many of you knew people, know people who would say, I used to go to church, uh, have faith, um, be a part of a church, lead a church. I used to, I used to, I used to. How many of you know people who used to be a part of faith? And I can't help but wonder how many of those people, if we sat down and could talk to them, they would say, there was a moment, there was a circumstance, there was something I did. And when I did the math, I realized, I can't do that anymore. I need to leave. I need to stop. I need to quit. To which Jesus would say, there's room at the table for you. And that becomes our message. As we converse and meet with people who are in that space, that the gracious welcome that God extended to us, we have the privilege of saying, you should see what I did. He welcomed me. So no matter what you have done, he welcomes you too. I want to close with a quick story and a, and a quote here. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish priest who, uh, along with other priests, started the Jesuits. Um, and as a young man, St. Ignatius was at battle for his country, was injured, and spent a long time bedridden, um, convalescing and kind of recovering from the impacts of the battle. And while he was there, he kind of said, I'm going to redeem this time, and he dedicated himself to prayer and reflection and became simply overwhelmed at the grace of God extended to him. And he wrote this wonderful quote, There are very few who realize what God would make of them if they abandoned themselves entirely to his hands and let themselves be formed by his grace. And when I thought of that quote, and I thought of this young man laying in bed with all these aspirations and now sidelined with this injury, thinking about all that God could do with his broken life, I think about Peter who left and quit and went out on the boat and Jesus comes back to him and says, you have no idea what I could do with your broken life with my grace. I wonder today if you might think about what God might do if you were to abandon your life into his hands and let his grace write an incredible story. Let me pray. Lord, today we thank you that you come looking for us. That no matter where we find ourselves today, no matter the circumstances of our life or the circumstances of our heart, you come looking. And that your message to each and every one of us is that there's room at the table for us still that you invite us to stop bearing the burden of our failure all of our, by ourselves and to remember that that is why you have come. And so, Lord, today we transfer that burden to you 
And we open our hands and ask that your grace truly would be at work in our lives. That we might experience this beautiful invitation. And God, lay on our hearts a burden to be people who proclaim this message, who tell your story every chance we get when we run into people who used to, that they might know that there's a seat at the table for them too.